0: The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy.
1: And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. A happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. It's your Sunday. Somebody else has got to do the barbecue. I know that because I will be doing the barbecue. This week, especially the traditional media and the traditional partisan politicians have been working overtime. They're there trying to inflame your passions and trying to repeat untruths often enough to make you believe them. And all of that fire and fury and bedevilment just extends and intensifies the hyperpartisanship in both Washington and Sacramento that gets in the way of solving any of the vexing problems that face our nation. My purpose is a little different. I try to inform you, to give you the information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on your judgment. As a businesswoman, I focus a lot on the numbers. The numbers tell me what's out of the norm, what needs attention what you've got to immediately triage, and then how to prioritize longer-term change. And there are lots of numbers this week. There's a $200 billion California budget. There's a proposal that has now passed into the initiative stage that will be on the November ballot to split California into three states. And the important number at the moment is it has 17% positive polling. But that will change. Um, and we'll, we need to talk about it. And it's kind of, you know, it's at the philosophical point. This, at this point, Google, Google has plans to build as many as 30,000 housing units in downtown San Jose. Now, let me tell you what those housing units will not be. They will not be affordable. They're going to be high-end. They're going to be high-rise. They're going to change the nature of the city, which has long been Sam Licardo's plan, to first infill. So build downtown San Jose into a series of skyscraper um, residential um, housing units for young people. It, his his model is is um, uh, Shanghai, um, and I'm not sure that that fits in California or that, with a housing crisis, an affordable house, housing crisis, that that's the right approach for the city of San Jose to take. But um, it it's Google has the money and Google has the land and Google has the support of the current city council, so. Uh, Measure C did pass. Uh, It is an infill proposal. It has long been the intention of uh, City Hall to focus on building a city, a skyscraper city in downtown, and leave the so-called neighborhoods um, to benign neglect. And that's where your infill is going to come if that policy is continued. So... um, if you live in San Jose, it's time now for activism to ensure that the communities uh, that surround downtown have sufficient funding, policing, streets, sewer, etc., cetera, um, to ensure that San Jose continues to give you the kind of urban, suburban quality of life that so many of you have paid so much to have. So... I don't know that there's going to be a lot more on the show about that right now, but I wanted you to know that the measure passed and what Google's plan is. And there were two major summits this week that President Trump attended. And you all know that I don't dabble too much in foreign policy. I'm, I'm happy that there are real experts out there um, who do that. Um, but it is sufficient to say from a business perspective that getting into a uh unnecessary conflict and a tariff situation with your two largest tra- your three largest trading partners the three largest trading partners of the united states are canada mexico and the european union and so getting into a tariff argument with them does not serve the american worker well you can look at that from any time – and and I'm not going to bore you. I could give you the history lesson, but I'm not going to bore you. I'm just going to say that in 1930, the Smoot-Hawley tariffs, and in 1880 and in 1870, um, when there was a major crash in the American economy, um, uh, that tariffs played a role in both of those situations as – America was becoming an industrial giant. Well, we are still the largest economy on earth, uh, and we need to use that leverage in a positive and constructive way. On the other hand, um, I'm with Congress about uh, penalties on the Chinese for their um, just brazen theft of intellectual property, uh, in the United States, and Congress needs to act to both control the z t e situation where um uh, components bought in the United States are reverse engineered by the Chinese, so they won't have to buy them in the United states um and where our defense department um believes the chinese uh manufacturers are putting Devices into those phones that make them tools for further espionage, so that uh, the United States military will not allow any phone built by ZTE and one of its partners in China to be um, sold or on on a military base or used by military personnel. So um, support your congressman, man or woman. Um, and our two senators in helping to pass um, tariff legislation that uh, punishes Chinese intellectual theft while not harming our relationship with our three largest trading partners. And that's the end of that soliloquy. Um, I, I don't think you um, – I, I think we're all in good hands with Mike Pompeo at State and Ms. Haprin at CIA. Um, and I think that we can um, assume that they will continue to work diligently on the North Korea situation. Uh, the polling is uh, extremely interesting. 73% of people polled this week are happy that President Trump took the trip to Singapore. Um, I'm one of those people I think talking always to someone is always better than yelling across the ocean at them. Um it tends to prevent uh, accidents, accidental wars from happening. Um but I remain skeptical that um Kim Jong-un has really changed his stripes. He is one of the most brutal and he's one of the most brutal and deadly despots uh, of all time. And so we are, we need to be sufficiently skeptical. I I just can't see him presiding over um, beautiful beach condos. It's just not in the man.
0: For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer.
1: And we're back. We're going to talk about three lies, but we're going to start first with what is true. And that's the, uh, probably most of you suspected that I read James Comey's book, Loyalty. And I haven't said anything at all about it. And you probably think I read it the day it came out. Well, there you'd be wrong. I waited two days. And I haven't said anything about it because here's, here the, here's the real truth. When I know as a businesswoman, when you do due diligence with a whole executive team, you don't believe any one story that you hear about what is wrong and what is right at that company. You try to build from each interview, you, you start to look for the things that help you to reach consensus about what's real and what's not real based on both your, your own investigation and your, um, and your conversations. I also know as a parent, many of you are parents, um, that when your kid comes home and tells you how terribly their teacher has treated them, that you better talk to the teacher before you believe everything the child told you because the truth is usually in the middle. And thus, in the Comey situation, when it comes to Hillary's emails, the truth is in the middle. Okay, And so I wanted to wait to talk about that with you until the Inspector General's report came out. And you know what? Uh, The Inspector General um, and I are are both in about the same place. Um, We we both agree that um, Jim Comey is a public servant. Uh, He is also a flawed human being by his own admission. and that includes being a bit sanctimonious. And I think that sanctimonious streak is one of the things that affected the things that he did. So let's talk real quickly about what the inspector general's report tells us and what it does not tell us, despite what you have heard on uh, television and um, on both sides, on both sides. I'm going to try to run it down by the middle. Okay, so my first impression of Comey's book is that Comey as a writer is really good. As somebody who writes herself, I'm impressed. He, um, yes, I'm sure he had a great editor, but uh, he, um, he actually uh, can make a character come off the page as a multi-dimensional person, and he's clear and concise. And the two things that will help John Grisham and his uh, colleagues to sleep well without worrying that yet another lawyer is going to turn novelist is that a novelist needs an imagination and James Comey is lacking in that department. Comey tends to be a black and white, right and wrong. That's where the sanctimonious part of him comes out. Um, and so I don't know that he's totally empathetic to the other flawed human beings um that that populate that would populate a good uh, legal thriller. So I think he's best served um, doing what he's doing, teaching uh, at William and Mary, which is his alma mater. So here's what the inspector general did and did not find. The inspector general, after a year's. Um, A year of research and reading and reading every document and in and interviewing more than one time, every member of the 12 member team that conducted the Clinton email um, um, investigation has concluded um, that first. Uh, there was no evidence of bias at the FBI. There was no lack of integrity in the investigation, and there was no evidence found against Secretary Clinton that warranted prosecution. So we've got only an hour here, and we've got a lot of issues to cover, so I won't Uh, While I read the chapter that goes into exhaustive detail about the applicable law, and I'm not a lawyer, okay, um, they explain the elements of the law and the conclusions that were reached by FBI personnel and career prosecutors who worked on that team from the Department of Justice, and they came to a unanimous conclusion, a conclusion which the inspector general supports, That there was no crime committed and there was no prosecutable offense. Not understanding the elements and the risks of using technology outside of the appropriate channels of government is stupid, but it's not criminal. Here are the facts the FBI did not initiate the Clinton email investigation. That investigation was referred to the FBI in July 2015 by the Inspector General for National Security. And the FBI did not seek that work, but they had no choice. After the referral, news was leaked to the FBI that the investigation had been opened. And Mrs. Clinton was not pleased. So One of the distinct, and and she went to the New York Times and she went to the FBI and she said some things in public that were completely untrue, that this was a national security review when it was in fact a investigation of whether her conduct was or was not criminal. So Mrs. Clinton lied to the American public. I don't like that in my politicians. And it's not the first time that one of the Clintons has done something like that. But the result was that the FBI would neither confirm nor deny, which is their standard practice. When they are investigating something and they have not reached a conclusion as to whether or not it is criminal and prosecutable, their normal um, uh, reaction is not to um, make any public statements both because they don't want to infer something negative on someone who is not guilty of a crime, and secondly, because they don't want to tip off the guy they're investigating. But at that point, in July of 2015, Deputy Director of the FBI at that time, Mark uh, Gugliano, uh, told James Comey, you know you are, and I'm going to use a bad word here, you know you're totally screwed, right? To which... Comey, in his book, says he replied, yes. And he goes on to say, at the core of Mark's gallows humor was a gallows. And this is where I completely agree with Comey. No matter what the honest outcome, the institution, that being the FBI, its credibility and mine would, will, be, will be damaged. The only question is how much. And he goes on to say there's a certain freedom in being totally screwed, in knowing you will be attacked no matter what you do. And as a result of deciding that he'd be judged ill either by acting or not acting, he and the inspector general argue um, he was, he was, he acted. And he. then the attorney general is absolutely correct. He was insubordinate. He was a subordinate to Attorney General Loretta Lynch, and Deputy Assistant um, Attorney General Sally Yates, okay? And he did not confer, while he had talked to uh, Sally Yates, who was his immediate supervisor, uh, as Rob Rosenstein is Christopher Ray's supervisor, um, he did, in fact, discuss with Sally Yates The evidence as it was investigated uh, and the conclusion that there was no probable crime became clear in the spring of 2016. And they had ongoing discussions about what a declination to prosecute would mean for the for the department and how and how they would go about um, telling the public or telling anyone anything, okay? Remember, it is a leak from the New York Times, a leak that came from within the FBI, well below uh, Director Comey's level, that made the public aware of this. If not, all of this would have been done, and and except for um, WikiLeaks, uh, none of this would have ever become public. So... When uh, when um, Attorney General Lynch met on the uh, tarmac for half an hour with former President Bill Clinton um, and said she would accept Comey's recommendation uh, rather than recuse herself in that matter, uh, she gets as much blame for bad judgment uh, and the fact that she did not Um, directly order Comey to do or not do anything in that situation. She comes in for just as much criticism as he does. Both of them had judgment issues. And it's all in hindsight. So um, there is, I think, more question um, about – Comey's belief that by coming out and making the statement he made in July, that he was protecting the um, integrity of the of the FBI uh, in light of in light of the leak and hold that thought about leaks. And then we get to the letter in October, and I think there um, there are some questions that need to be answered yet that will be answered in the subsequent inspector general's report about Andrew McCabe you'd be surprised how little information there is in this report about McCabe none of it is negative Andrew McCabe before his wife ran for the House of Delegates in Virginia went to his went to the ethics lawyers at and he was then not at FBI headquarters he was at the Washington field office um, and this very very experienced counterintelligence agent the guy who brought the Sarnoff brothers in uh, after the Boston bombing, um, went to his ethics team and asked all the right questions, uh, according to the inspector general. So there is no conflict of interest there. But there are reports of bad behavior, and they get tangled up in the October letter. Should that letter have been written, Should it have not been written? Did it change the outcome of the election? None of us really will, I mean, history will have to judge that. And we'll be back in just a moment to tell you what that report did not say.
0: For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer.
1: And we're back. With what the Inspector General's report did not tell you and what it does not say. So, the one thing it didn't tell us was what Andrew McCabe really did. Okay, that part of the report, apparently, because DOJ is considering charges against him for, you know, for being less than truthful with his FBI colleagues about something that relates to the October. Review of the Clinton emails. Okay, that 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 part, um, the jury's out. All I'm going to say is, if it were cut and dry that he did something that was illegal, immoral, unethical, etc., Christopher Ray would have taken it upon himself to fire him. It wouldn't have had to go to Sessions. So I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. I'm going to wait for DOJ to do its thing. But here is what the report did not say. And as a citizen, I expect the politicians who who want to govern this country to be scrupulously honest. So the president went out on Milan on Friday. And he said three things about the inspector general's report. And because I believe in truth and in facts, OK, I've told you I think Comey was insubordinate, that both he and Loretta Lynch caught, and and Sally Yates, all all three of them, caught in an incredibly difficult, never-before situation of a criminal investigation against a candidate for the presidency and the first woman to run for the presidency. Um, They were in a no-win situation from the moment that the leak took place. And one of the things that the inspector general uh, talked about was how um, reporters give uh, tickets to sporting events and expensive meals and other things to FBI personnel to get information out of them. They befriend them, quote-unquote. And those processes, how that How what the FBI agent in the field is allowed or at headquarters is allowed to do with the press is a subject now of um, laser-like focus, and and I totally support cleaning up the leaks in Washington. I mean, criminal investigations should never be leaked. Um, And Mueller is a great example of how an investigation should be run. So what are the three things we don't know that really offended me on Friday, which is why I changed up what I was gonna talk about and said, you know, this had to be said. The president said they were plotting against my election, quote unquote. Well, in the entire report, with the exception of a mention of an email exchange between two illicit lovers, the report is completely mute on the subject of Donald Trump there's nothing about the campaign there's nothing about the election and there's nothing about the potential or or made up story of russian collusion the president went on to say that the inspector general's report totally exonerates him there's no collusion there's no obstruction since Comey was not disciplined or fired or impeached for his insubordination. In fact, nobody really mentioned it until the inspector general did um, more than two years after the event. Nor is there a suggestion in the report that he should have been referred to the Office of Personal Responsibility in the FBI or to DOJ or or that he should have been fired for his insubordination, that question remains open. And it will probably, in terms of his credibility as a witness, if there is uh, in in the Mueller investigation, um, there's really no change because there's no dishonesty. He's never denied anything. uh, And he doesn't deny now he was insubordinate. And you know what? He knew it. He just thought his judgment Uh, And his need to protect the institution of the FBI was um, paramount um, rather than uh, the attorney generals, because he found her conflicted and uh, compromised by her meeting with Clinton and with Bill Clinton, which both Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch now admit was a mistake. The president also told the press so. So the report does not exonerate Trump because it doesn't mention him. And the president told uh, reporters on Friday, I did nothing wrong. There is no collusion. The IG report yesterday went a long way to show that the Mueller investigation has been totally discredited. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, I don't believe that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians in the fall of 2016. But I do think other people around him were um, uh, were uh, the Russians reached out to people around him, um, and I think we need to let the guilty pleas and the sentences and the trials pl- and the report from Mueller play out before we reach any other conclusions about how people may have been compromised in the situation. But to say that this report exonerates him is an outright fabrication. And it's beneath the dignity of the president of the United States to tell reporters and thus the American people something that is so far from fact, when the facts are easily accessible in a Google search that took about ah, 15 seconds. And the special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, is charged with examining the scope and extent of Russian involvement in the 2018 election. And at the request of acting attorney general for this matter, Rob Rosenstein, the inspector general is doing a follow-up report. He is investigating how the Russian counterintelligence um, investigation uh, actually um, uh, was start, uh, began in August of 2016. Okay, so to me, the sad thing is all the smoke and all the noise and all the half-truths and lies, we'll never really know whether Hillary Clinton lost the election because of the emails, but you know what? I don't think so. I think... Hillary Clinton lost the election because she was a bad candidate who ran a bad campaign.
0: For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM,
1: The Answer. And we're back, and we couldn't, we couldn't avoid um, mentioning the fact that the California state legislature has one more, once more, right at the moment of truth, passed a budget framework. Now, it's a $200 billion spending plan. It passed on June 15th because that's the deadline. If, if by state initiative, by in the Constitution... If the legislature does not pass the framework – well, it says the budget, okay – by June 15th so that it can be implemented on July 1st, their pay gets docked for every day they're late. And you know what? Since we passed that initiative, we voters, there is power at the ballot box. They haven't missed that deadline once. Unfortunately, it does not improve the product. We have a $200 billion budget, $136 billion of it, general fund spending, and that includes direct transfers from the state general fund to both CalPERS and the teachers' retirement funds. In other words, neither of those state retirement, public employee retirement systems had sufficient earnings this year to pay the promised benefits to the current beneficiaries. The state general fund had a kick in, um, probably close if you add up all the numbers, um, uh, more than $10 billion this year um, in additional direct payments, above and beyond what they would normally expect as employers to be contributing to those funds. So you know what a Harper I am, um, since I have— Two grandchildren in the system. I look at those numbers about K through twelve public education, um, and and yes, public education funding because the state is flush with tax money has increased by about fifteen percent. Okay, so we're going to spend instead of sixty six billion dollars last year, we're going to spend seventy eight point eight billion dollars, and that raises the per pupil spending. Drum roll, please, to eight. Massive 11,116 dollars per student compared to New York State that spends almost 21,000. The problem is, we do pay our teachers, um, if you look at, at, you know, teacher salaries across the country, we are in the top five. We are probably also in the top five most expensive places to live. So it all kind of averages out. But what it means is so much of this money goes into teacher salaries that there isn't enough money for the kind of equipment that we need to have in the classroom, tablets and um, and computers and, and um, high-technology tools that will help these kids get ready for um, careers that will involve, no matter what you're doing, if you're a plumber, if you're a, a an electrician, uh, if you're a carpenter, if you're a software engineer, you, you need to have this early technology access, and our kids are not getting enough of that, and that concerns me. We've increased direct Medicaid spending to $35 billion, uh, and with matching funds, that means that Medicaid spending in the state is the second highest um, single item in the budget right after K-12 through education. We did increase a little bit of money um, for the state colleges. If you want to know about the state college funding situation, it's worse than our K through 12. Um, We used to get, the university used to get about 40% of the university system, the University of California system, used to get 40% of its funding from the state of California. Now it barely gets enough to cover um, tuition costs for low-income students. Um, the community colleges, the, the the bedrock of secondary education in the state, lifelong learning, they get approximately five thousand dollars per student. So um, having done the technology two plan um, for the community colleges as one of what that was one of my Gartner group um, projects that I led. Um, I can tell you that the small amount of money that is going to go into improving online education is not enough. Uh, And because it's not enough, it won't be used um, wisely. It won't be used to further connect the online offerings of the various schools in this largest college system in the country. Um, it will only enhance individual campuses so that they end up competing instead of collaborating. And so that's one of those issues we'll go into on another day when there's less new news about how we could better use that system to help our children and ourselves, because lifelong learning is important um, both for your career and your well-being in this society. But last but not least in this budget there, You'll recall we computed that, that we have about um, a $1 trillion shortfall for affordable housing in California. The state legislature has agreed with the governor that we can spend a whole ooh, $500 million on grants to cities to improve homelessness. So when you see all of this stuff on television about migrants at the border— and concerns about how we are housing, clothing, and feeding them, and how we are treating their children, okay, I want you to stop for a moment and have some empathy for the 114,000 citizens, many of them veterans, who will sleep in their cars or on the streets on the pavement in California tonight. And I'm Joyce Cordy, and you're listening to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. And let's take just a minute you know, we've teased it long enough. Three Californias, three Californian Californias have indeed qualified for a budget. Now, Tim Draper, very wealthy venture capitalist who is backing this initiative. He originally wanted six Californias. Now we're down to three. Uh, says, well, it will improve infrastructure, et cetera. I can't see how that would happen. Because you see, as a state, all those bond measures that you guys go to the polls and you go, oh yeah, well it's bonds, and and so the bonds will get paid off. It's not any more taxes, um, et cetera. Um, no new taxes, magic word when you pass a bond issue. Um, that that creates debt, and so we have about a between between our uh, underfunded public employee pension systems and all of our many bond issues and the California Water Project and all of these other little joint ventures that we do with the feds, we are about $1 trillion in debt. So if we divide the state up so that you have New California, which would be from Monterey to Los Angeles along the coast, and you have Northern California, which would be the Bay Area north to the Oregon border and you have South California, which is um, below LA and to the east um, to the Nevada border and the Arizona border, Um, how do you divide that up? How do you create, how do you get more efficiency out of three bureaucracies? You cannot say to the public employees, okay, we're dividing California into three states, so we're going to abrogate our obligation to you for pensions. We can't do that we can't discharge any of that debt so how do you divide up the debt where do you create three capitals how do you do three state bureaucracies that have to share one set of resources okay the waters the waters in the north the drinkers are in the south so how are you going to divide that up through three state capitals how in, in heaven's name is that going to make you a california resident more comfortable. I mean the one problem that they solved with this distribution is that if you work in Silicon Valley and live in Manteca, you're going to be in the same state. So you wouldn't be paying state taxes in two states under this solution, okay? But there is no detail beyond the emotional good feeling. Ooh, we're going to divide California into 3, it'll be better. There is absolutely not one word about how this would actually happen. So beware of Trojan horses and Greeks bearing gifts. And we'll be back in just a moment with a couple of closing thoughts.
0: For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer.
1: And we're back. Um, I think we've exhausted three Californians. Uh, there are only two more things to say, and actually it's one. It's, even if we voted to do this, Congress does not have to go along. But there's another initiative that will be on the ballot in 2020, and that's for California to secede from the union. So um, I have only two things to say about that. One is that it turns out that the money backing this is a Russian oligarch. Now, there is some humor in that, but um, um, I think we'll just leave it there. Um, and the other thing I'm going to say is, it happens that I'm going to publish a blog today at the reimagineamerica.org site that looks at California historically from the, are we a state or are we still the Republic California bear flag republic? Um it's a little bit longer than most of my blogs are, but it gives you a little bit of history and a little bit of a forward look of what the consequences would be for California if it really were to decide that it's a republic and it doesn't have to play by the same rules as the rest of the United States. So, um, I suspect in 2021 that we will still be the state of California. But um, that's because I have great faith in you as voters. But the one last thing I will say on that subject is, if it's left to the extremes, remember only twenty percent of voters outside of San Francisco, where they had a mayoral contest as well, bothered to vote in this June primary. So if you value um, the your lifestyle and your tax level, etc., you need to pay attention and you need to vote in November. And on that happy note, let me um say that um we I, I started a little conversation on next door in my neighborhood after my thirty seven minutes to go uh three quarters of a mile on Highway 17 a couple of weeks ago. Um and there was a and there was a great idea. What about a railway from San Jose to Santa Cruz? What about a railway. There's a right-of-way. There is a train that goes halfway that distance. I think it's a great idea, and I'm going to look into it and see um, uh, what the response is from um, those with um, access to starting new ideas. Um, and in the meantime, again, if you want to learn more about the things we talked about, If you want to know more about the things we talked about today, if you want to read about California, the state versus the bear flag republic, go to reimagineamerica.org. You know, I always know what interests me, but what's more important is what interests you. A of couple of weeks ago, a listener by the name of Cliff um, made a point about the plight of uh, Native Americans in this state and in the country in general. And I just want you to know I've started doing the research to do um, a discussion about that. I've also started a discussion about the um, repercussions, and there are repercussions for women in the business world from hashtag MeToo. And we'll be talking about that in July. And in the meantime, if you have questions, if there are topics you want to talk about, if you want to come on the radio and have a conversation, send me an email at Joyce at ReimagineAmerica.org. I try to respond to as many listener comments as I can. Um, the podcast will be posted at Reimagine America Radio Hour page on Monday and Reimagine, I need to remind you, is independent and nonprofit. If you appreciate our independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. And as always, I appreciate your time and your attention, and I'll look forward to speaking with you next week, and have a wonderful Father's Day.
0: This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. Together, we can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.